This episode is brought to you in part by Wholehearted Love, a new book by Caleb and Stephanie Rouse. Overcome the barriers that hold you back in your relationships with God and with others and delight in feeling safe, seen, and loved with Wholehearted Love. For more information, go to Tyndale.com. Welcome to the Grace Enough Podcast. I am your host, Amber Cullum. Before introducing this week's guest, I want to invite you to join my four-week gratitude practice anytime in November. You can download it for free at graceenoughpodcast.com slash free gratitude practice. Each day, there is a different prompt and scripture passage that will help you connect with God through giving thanks. Today kicks off a three-part series on purity culture. We'll discuss questions like, what is purity culture? Is God's design for sexuality outdated? What are some of the unbalanced messages teens receive surrounding purity in the 90s and its negative impacts? What are some best practices when talking about Christian purity and sexuality? The first guest is Dean and Sarah. Dean is the founding pastor of City Church in Tallahassee, Florida. He grew up in the height of promise rings and I-kiss dating goodbye culture and has recently authored the book, Pure, Why the Bible's Plan for Sexuality Isn't Outdated, Irrelevant, or Oppressive. Good morning, Dean, and welcome to the Grace Enough podcast. Thank you. I appreciate you having me on as a guest. Yeah, I'm excited. We were talking earlier. We have lots of people that we know in common from college friends in Louisville to your sister, Sally. And so it's a real joy to connect with you. Yeah, definitely. That was fun to figure all that out, all those connections. I know it is. Well, and I was saying too, it's like if you're in the if you're in the Christian world, even denomination or anything, it's amazing how you can go almost anywhere and be like, oh, yeah you know that person and I know this person and, you know, (laughs) six degrees to Kevin Bacon, right? Um, Well, share a little bit of your faith journey with us. When did you first come to follow Christ? I was raised mainline Protestant, Uh, you know, a nice church, uh, you know, good people. I didn't despise going or anything like that as a kid. Uh, And But uh, one thing, I know there are some good mainline Protestant churches out there. I'm not knocking on all of them. So it's not a general sweeping statement. Uh, but the one that I was a part of, uh, we were taught things like, you know, be a good person, be loving. Uh, here's some inspirational stories from the Bible. I knew about David and Goliath, knew about Jonah and the big fish, knew about Noah's Ark. I've never a- had anyone share the gospel with me directly, you know, that I actually was a sinner who needed to be saved. Uh, so the whole idea of grace wasn't really relevant to me because I didn't really need it. Because I'm a good person. I believe in God, mm. you know, that, that kind of idea. Well, I went to a fellowship of Christian athletes retreat when I was 13 years old and I actually heard the true gospel for the first time. And that was a sinner who needed to be saved. Here's what that looks like. And here's and here's who Jesus is. And he's the one who came to die for us and to reconcile us to the Father. And he rose again. And you need to put your trust in Christ, not yourself. And that was all new news to me. Uh, mm. So I, I joke I'm the only person to come to faith and be angry about it. I don't get me wrong. Don't, don't get me wrong. I had joy. But at the same time, in my mind, I'm going, how have I been in church my entire life? And no one's ever told me this before. Uh, so since then, I make sure that that can never be said about anybody that's part of, part of any ministry I'm, that I'm involved in. Uh, just that good news of the gospel, God's love for us in Christ and why it matters and, and why it's, it is all about really the work of Christ on our behalf. Yeah. And that fuels kind of everything I do now. I went away to college and seminary. I knew pretty early on I wanted to be a pastor. 
And, uh, and, I, and then as that kind of started forming more, I wanted to be a pastor in my hometown of Tallahassee, Florida, and wanted to plant a church. And by the God's grace, been able to do all those, those things. Yeah. I said, I'm a pastor in Tallahassee. My wife and I have been married uh, for over 18 years. Awesome. And uh, yeah, we have three kids and, and, and life is life is really good. We're thankful and grateful and, and are excited about the mission we have here in Tallahassee and beyond. Yeah. I mean, and you coach football. You told me that. I'm like, football. whoa. Yeah. I love like, it. I, I, for a while, I thought I was going to be a football coach and go that direction. Even though I really did feel like ministry, like in terms of vocational ministry, is the Lord had for me. Uh, so, but so I, for a minute, I was like, I kind of want to coach football. But this <laughs> allows me to be in a, a middle school football coach. Allows me to kind of scratch that itch a little bit. And I, I, I'm, I'm, I, I get involved in high school football some too. So, which is which is good. It cracks me up because I'm like, maybe it's your wife that needs the pat on the back because coaches, man, coaches, wives, they're like, they're really bearing the brunt of it because they're taking care of the kids all the time. <laughs> oh, definitely. Yes. Yeah, especially the high school level. I mean, it's, oh my it's gosh, a different world. Uh, so thank God I've got, I've got really good folks that are part of it and, and guys yeah. really know what they're doing. And so it's been, it's been fun. That's awesome. Well, and we're not here to talk about football, but oh, um... <laughs> I I could. That, that's why I agreed to come on. <laughs> We could. I mean, my, my oldest son is a middle school football player and I'm just like, and I remember growing up, uh, my dad, he, he did some refereeing of high school games and it came to a point when we got to a certain age that my mom was like, listen, we can't do this anymore. Like it cannot be, you're gone every week. It was just a lot. Right. And so, uh, I look back and I didn't realize then I was like, dad loves it. Now I'm like, Oh, (laughs) I I know why now (laughs) being a parent of three. So anyways, the reason why we're here is because you have released a new book called Pure, and it really dives into what God's plan for sexuality is and how it's not something that's irrelevant. And also it kind of talks a little bit about all the purity culture and, and the bad things that came from that and things we should take away. And so let's start out with, for those people who are listening and they're like, I don't even really understand what purity culture was because I didn't grow up in that phase of Christian culture. What is purity culture? Yeah. And I think we have to be really clear that God's Mm -hmm. design for sexuality is not oppressive. It's not outdated. It's not irrelevant. All the things the world is telling us, right? Mm -hmm. That the world's messaging. Uh, So purity culture, we didn't call it, we didn't refer to it as that then. It's called that in retrospect, right. uh, but uh, so very much so. Lots of articles being written about it. There's the difference, you know, just blog posts, tweets, posts, you name it, mm-hmm. uh, all are really condemning it and, and bemoaning it and claiming it created oppression and all these sort of things. And so for those that, that aren't familiar with the movement, I grew up right smack in the middle of it. Mm-hmm. I, I went to high school in the 90s. I mean, I saw it all. Yeah. Uh, it, it was this whole call that really revolved around, this is their language, saving yourself for your future spouse. Mm-hmm. And the best way to understand it is really kind of two main aspects. One is what was called the true love weights. And those would be just a big campaign and rallies. And the whole goal was to get you to fill out this card. And the card said, you know, that I, you know, I am going to commit myself to God and my future mate was their language that mm-hmm. I'll, you know, remain from sexual activity until, until I'm married. And, and that, that came with things such as Purity, purity rings, rings. <laughs> where you would get a ring and you just have to wear it until your honeymoon and then give it to your spouse and say, I've worn that. And there was just so much around it. And the other aspect of it is Joshua Harris's like his dating goodbye book mm. that really went after dating as a bad thing. And so that we should be courting instead, which is this whole idea of like, you instead of dating, you're like, and you know, you're going to get married and you're not going to date someone right. until then. And here's the thing about all that is we're 16. (laughs) I mean, we're 13. So it's like, settle down. (laughs) 
tone it down a little bit. Now, I want to I want to be uh, you know affirm any group that's pushing people towards you know purity. Sex. Yeah, the, the sex in the confines of marriage only. Okay, amen, yes. So I do think the motives were pure. And I want to mm-hmm. be fair there. I, I don't think the, you know, the the True Love Waits crowd got together and said, how can we start a ministry that 30 years from now is going to get made fun of? That wasn't their motive. Uh, but I think there's some errors that happened along the way. And one was really the big picture. And that was everything was in the context of your future spouse. Mm-hmm. So you're 14 years old being told that you need to be the one that saves yourself. And the whole messaging was like, you don't want to be the one, you know, who hadn't saved yourself on your honeymoon. Right. That really was the messaging. Instead, I wish the messaging, messaging would have been, here's God's design. Mm-hmm. And here's why it matters. And here's why it's glorious. And here's why we, that God has given this to us. And here's what it means to be male and female. And here's how it even points us to the gospel as in God chose marriage to be the union, you know, that, that oneness, that one fleshness of marriage is what God has given us to be a visible portrait of the invisible reality of the union between Christ and the church. And, you know, they didn't say anything like that. It was all simply, you don't want to be the one who messes up. You don't want to save yourself. And, uh, and they'll have something in their testimony that was talking about, uh, you know, how they wish they would have. And now like God's giving them a second chance and don't be like me. And it was all that. <laughs> You're 15. I was just thinking of my future spouse when I'm 15. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm trying to think about like what movie we're going to see that night. Right. You know, that, that kind of idea. So I wish instead they would have really taught us the Bible and mm. taught us God's design. And the second thing was uh, it created uh, two different camps that are both unfortunate. And the first one is kind of a Pharisee type camp. Where hey, hey, look at me, you know, I, I'm righteous. I, I, I saved my. That was always language. Save yourself. I saved myself. Therefore, I deserve someone, you know, who has done the same. And no one who hasn't yes. is good enough for me. That's not yes. Christian talking. That's not Christian thinking, right? So it created that. And then the other side of really the same coin was it created the shame. This shame idea of people would see themselves, they'd use words like damaged goods and, you know, that they'd see themselves as like kind of disqualified from ever having a Christian spouse or someone who, you know, hadn't been involved sexually with someone before. I'm like, that's not Christianity either, no. right? Like, like, that's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, so again, I do not believe these people like had the motive to do that. Right. I think these were the really, I wish they would have paid a little more attention, but the inevitable consequences mm-hmm. when only kind of law and moral and and not God's design and God's glory is is what's lifted up. Uh, so here's the good news is we can, that has not changed for a moment, God's design. That's right. You know, Christians messing up and Christians taking the wrong approach in terms of how they're communicating. It doesn't change the fact that God has a clear design. So in the book, I'm just trying to tell the story of what it is and why it matters and, and yes. why it's for us right now. Yeah. Yeah. And that is something that I love. Like you really dive into some of the biblical roots of the word purity. That's almost become this word that people don't even want to say anymore because it's so we've be, we've changed the definition of what that means and not just Christians, like just our world in general, like purity is bad and it's oppressive, like you said. And, but you dive into that. And then you also talk about, you know, this one major flaw of which you just discussed purity culture. And so what are some of those roots of, and you, you kind of alluded to them already of, of what sex is all about? Like, what are some of the biblical roots of it's good to save yourself for marriage because? Yeah, well, because one, it's never just sex, right? And, and our only value we have left today is that society is consent, you know, and that's the only, that's the only thing that's left, you know, outside of that, yeah. any, any time, any, any age, you know, it's, it's all about this sort of 
It used to be what I people say what I think I am. Now it's what I feel sexually or romantically is what I am. And, and so it's really taken us on a whole, that's a whole nother conversation. That's taken mm-hmm. us on a whole spiral. But so what happens in the beginning is God explicitly makes men, a man and makes a woman. And not to be TMI, but even in terms of biologically, it all works, mm-hmm. right? And how God has, yes. created, has created these people. And so from there, uh, it was something that Jesus himself echoed in Matthew chapter 19, where he actually believed Adam and Eve were real people. He referenced Genesis and the creation narrative of man and woman as husband and wife when he was asked about marriage. He, he quotes Genesis. Paul, when talking in Corinthians and talking in 1 Corinthians and talking in Ephesians, he does the exact same thing. He references the one flesh union as God's design and historic. Uh, so the one flesh union, it's it's more than sex, mm-hmm. but it's definitely not less than that. Uh, so when a husband mm. and wife come together, what it means is they actually are have a union, a fleshly union together. And that's what God designed it to be. And we can even say more than that. Like it's actually that when God created marriage, he already had the gospel in mind. Because in yeah. Ephesians chapter five, when Paul's talking about uh, the union between Christ and the church, in the same pen stroke of his letter, he's writing about husbands and wives. So it almost gets confusing. You're going, wait a second. The last verse, you talked about husbands and wives, and now you're talking about Christ in the church. Which one is it? What are you talking about? And the answer is yes. Yeah, <laughs> right. Because marriage points us towards the greater, greater reality of the church being the bride mm-hmm. and Christ being the groom. And the oneness we have with Jesus, the doctrine is called, I love for our listeners to listen to look it up and read about it. It's called union with Christ. It's a wonderful doctrine. You know, Union with Christ is really what, how we understand uh, our relationship with Jesus. We're one with Christ and that marriage relationship points us to that. So it's so much bigger than any of those things. So here's why uh, it really, really matters outside of the fact that it really does communicate the gospel story for us, but also God loves his people enough to not want us to do permanent things with temporary people. Mm. So we see God's restrictions for sexuality in the scriptures. One, it's for his own glory, for what his design is, but also it's care for us. So when Paul is addressing the Corinthian church, uh, that the, the Christians who really had compromised and really had gone out off the off the reservation, we could say, uh, and they were engaging in temple prostitution. Oh yeah, Paul, there's Paul all writes, kinds of stuff. Paul writes in First Corinthians six to them. He doesn't give them a lecture about prostitution. Mm. Instead, he says, "Don't you know that when you lie with her, you become one flesh with her?" So he's pointing them back to God's design. It, it's easy to read that verse and go, "Hey, you shouldn't do prostitution because it's." You know, maybe illegal in your society. It's demeaning to women. It's unhealthy. It's unsafe. That's not what he's talking about. Mm. Even though all those things are true, <laughs> he he's talking about the one fleshness. So instead, he's saying, "Here's what you're doing. Like when you when you lie with that person to come together with one person, you didn't just quote air quotes have sex. It wasn't just that it was you actually be, had made a one flesh union with that person mm-hmm. in a place where that was never designed to be. And that's a huge deal. God is a genius storyteller." And the evidence of this is threaded throughout Scripture. In Christianity Today's new show, Holy Curiosity, with me, Kat Armstrong, we explore storied connections threaded throughout Scripture from the Old Testament to the New. Our first miniseries, Connecting Dinah and the Woman at the Well, welcomes experts like Drs. Tim Mackey and Diane Landberg to give us insight and context into the physical location and meaning of these two stories. These stories will spark holy curiosity in your own faith, because once you see these connections, you can't unsee them. God wastes no person, place, 
or thing. Listen and subscribe to Holy Curiosity with Kat Armstrong on your favorite podcast platform. I mean, and it's so interesting because I see this just in Christian teaching um, all over the place too, where what makes us just so driven to focus so much on morality? I mean, I think sometimes I feel like it's this need to have application points all the time, because I do think that's where so much of the design for purity and sexuality can get mixed up and lost, because really purity isn't just about sexuality. God actually asks us to do a whole lot more to keep ourselves pure besides not lay with somebody. Absolutely. Yeah. I'd be seeking his face regularly, confessing sin, right? Being filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, you know, so so Paul so Paul says because of all this, it's so much bigger than morals. Yeah, right? it really is about our hearts and about our bodies and about our minds and our souls. That's why a couple of verses later he says, "Flee from sexual morality." Not here's a checklist, right? You know, yeah, yeah. Not not so that you earn favor. Yeah, not not don't mess up your chill of weights card. You know, it's it's flee. <laughs> you know, it's flee for this because he goes on to say that the sins that we commit against our body are different. Mm-hmm. You know, they're different because it affects all of us. It affects yeah. our whole person yeah, and it affects somebody else too. So this lie, and I think it's going to swing back. And by that, I don't mean the culture all of a sudden is going to become less sexualized. Right. By that, I mean, the churches need to be ready to receive what I call refugees from the mm-hmm. sexual revolution. Yeah. Who are realizing this is not what it lived up to be. And mm-hmm. I, I am broken. I'm miserable. And, and churches need to be ready to love and embrace and, and, and receive uh, people into their churches that have come from that world. And I'm not, I'm not even talking about like trafficking or that, that's all. That, no. That's yes to that too. I'm talking about like the college students. Yeah. You know, I'm talking about the the hookup culture. I'm talking mm-hmm. about the another affair, yeah. you know, the, the, and you know, from, you know, nightlife in town as a, you know, middle-aged adult. So I, I just think that churches need to be prepared for these kind of things. And here's the other part of that. It's supposed to be broken. Mm-hmm. It's supposed to, it's supposed to be a mess. Why? When you take what God has designed and placed it somewhere that he did not design for it to be carried out, it's going to be a mess. Mm-hmm. And it's supposed to be. We don't gloat over that. We should be broken over that ourselves and say, okay, let's, let's instead of trying to shrink back, let, let's be all the more clear, you know, to a broken world and what God has said. So I think one of the big steps for Christians and how we're going to be able to love uh, this world in this sexual revolution we're in is to be unashamed, to be unashamed of what God has said. You know, and also to, to carry the aroma of Christ with us as well. Right. You know, so, so, how can, so to be like very compassionate and very convictional, both those things at the same time. Well, and isn't that where it, it gets hard though, right? In yeah. being able to c- communicate what we believe is truth without, um, you know, I mean, you want to, you don't want to sacrifice conviction, but you don't want to be a jerk. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and sadly, lately, Christians have been really good at being jerks. So, um, uh, yeah, so we, have, so we have to really make <laughs> we, we need to really care about that. And I appreciate you bringing that up. Uh, so I think that one, we just need to make sure that that we are acting not out of being the police, uh, you know, yeah. the, the police of sexuality. That's not our job, uh, but to be the carriers of good news, mm-hmm. you know, that God has a design. He has something better. And part of it, sometimes that is corrective. You know, we need to go, hey, this right. is uh, but I, I think it, it, I think a lot of us come to relationships, you know, like where you where your friend who's involved in, in different sexual sins, whatever it could be, that they know that you you love them unconditionally, you're for them, uh, but also that they know you're different. Right. They, they know you're not like the other friends. Like you, you and it's not that you're morally superior to them. 
You know, we're not going to be the Pharisee in the in the story, the Pharisee and the tax collector. And the Pharisee is like, hey, God, I thank you. I'm so good. <laughs> you know, that's Jesus, right. He's like, that's not what it's about. <laughs> so and, and no, you're not. Um, so uh, but I think that we need to make sure that our distinct lives are pointing people to our distinct God and to his distinct design. I think that's really important. And also, this is, this is another kind of category in there, like another layer is that we can make sure the world is not defining for us kind and love. Mm-hmm. So, so, so we, you know, God is love. That's right. Like he gets to talk, he, the scriptures get to tell us what it looks like to love. So I think oftentimes Christians are maybe get a little nervous, a little apprehensive, even shrink back because they're so afraid of being unloving because they're, they're letting the world define for them what is love. Yeah. Love is acceptance. Our world is just full of, full excitement. I mean, applause, That's right. full mm-hmm. affirmation. So you can be kind and not a jerk without right. getting, without giving into that mindset. Yeah. Well, and that's something um, when I read the book, Mama Bear Apologetics and talked to them on the show, that was a chapter in that book that I love because it really was about how many of the words that are that get taken and redefined. And love is one of those words like love. Love doesn't mean that you never speak against something or that you just pat everybody on the back um, just because that's what they want to do. I mean, that's actually the opposite of love. Sure, now, totally. love is also not looking being a jerk, like exactly. I said, and just saying, oh, you didn't do this, you didn't do this, and you didn't do this, so you're a failure. And, and I do think that kids in particular, as I work with some middle school kids as well, I still don't see that they're really getting a clear message of sexuality. They're not. And so... <laughs> um, what do you say to that? I mean, what what is a good place? I don't want to say a good place to start because I feel like the start, I feel like it has started. Like people are trying to say the right thing, but at the end of the day, it still comes back to you should save yourself for marriage because it's just the right quote unquote thing to do. And that just doesn't fly with kids now. Yeah. It's not a good enough answer. Oh, absolutely. And what kids are being told now, the sexual ethic they're receiving outside of the church is just embrace Embrace yes. your feelings, follow your heart, uh, accept everyone, love everyone. And if you're a teenager, I'm an adult in this season, even heart. Who oh, does, right? Who, who wants to be viewed as unloving? I know. And who wants to be viewed as a bigot? Who wants to be viewed as judgmental? No one wants to be viewed that way. That's so right. a teenager where what your friends think about you is everything. Mm-hmm. Right? Of course you're going to. And also the, the, when the affection or attention of the opposite sex, mm-hmm. you know, really is, it matters to you because of maybe the lack of attention you're getting somewhere else. So maybe at home, wherever it could be, uh, get, when all of a sudden that boy or that girl's paying attention to you, you being 16 years old are going to, you know, it's, it's very human nature to be drawn to that, right? And if that means you have to do these physical things with this person in order to keep them, you know, in a relationship with you, people are going to do that. Right. Uh, so so it's, it's, it really is a, an epidemic right now. So, uh, so I think we need to make sure that we're teaching them how this fits into the whole story of the Bible. Yeah, I you know. know. In, in, in their discipleship, not isolated. That's what happened with the Trill of Wait something. They isolated I know, but I see that still happening and it makes me so mad. I'm like, maybe we shouldn't do theme sermons. Yeah, that's why churches need to really think about how to present these things. And youth ministries need to be talking about these things. And not 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 as a substitute for parents, but in it, but alongside parents in doing this. And also parents need to be having these discussions and not make it taboo in their home. Yes. We've made it just a one talk thing. We have we had the birds and the bees talk. Okay, Timmy, are you good? You understand? Yes. Okay, great. And they move on. That is really what happens. It's oh, like I a, know. A one-time thing, you know, rather than it actually being like a, a dialogue of just this world and how things right. are. Okay. So I, I think we need to talk about and then what God says about all these things. So I think that's really critical as well. 
to make sure we're incorporating that. And here's what I tell, here's what I tell our students. I say, we have a lot of college students at our church, high school students, middle school students, kind of all, all over the board. And I'll tell them, I'll say, guys, the same Bible that tells us that Jesus rose from the grave, mm -hmm. the exact same Bible. And that's the only reason we know he rose from the grave is the Bible tells us. Mm -hmm. It's the same Bible that tells you these things about humanity and sexuality and men and women and love and romance and set like exact yeah. same Bible. So if we can believe God's word to know that Jesus rose from the grave and that he died on a cross, you know, for our sins, uh, that we can also believe him for these things as well. Yeah. Uh, so I, I just want, I'm not trying to oversimplify, but sometimes like they need to hear that and either resonate like, okay, like, yeah, I, I believe in Easter. You better be, yeah, I definitely, well, if I believe that I can believe this. Right. Right. Uh, yeah, and I think, and also to say, so not, so I think oftentimes in true love ways, it was, this is wrong. I want to teach people. Yes. There are things that are certainly wrong, but this right here is good. Because sometimes the message becomes that sex is wrong. And then that has been one of the problems. That's why people have pushed so back so far back on purity culture is because then they go into their marriage and they're struggling with still thinking that sex is bad. I, I could not add anything to that. That's perfectly said. Yes. I mean, that. yeah, I think that's exactly right. I know women. See, I was not a Christian in the 90s. So I grew up in that culture, but I was like, didn't get the whole true love weight things until college because that's when I became a believer. Yeah. And I mean, I'm sad to say I'm kind of glad because I didn't go into marriage with the problem that some of my friends did. Oh, yeah. Where, where it's almost like you feel guilty. Yeah. And it takes years before you ever enjoy a sexual relationship with your spouse because you've been told it's been bad or all of these things for years. Yeah. And then the other side of it, the other swing, the opposite direction is people go into marriage with so much guilt and shame, you know, rather than being people who are restored in Christ, right. repentant of sin. And so we have both those problems happen as a result of purity culture. You know, yes. not, we have we have those and neither one of those are God's story and God's design. Mm. Right. So, so God in the scriptures, we want ma marriage to flourish. And that's more than sex, but it's not less. Mm -hmm. Also, we want Christians, like people who are in the family of God, to remember that God does not punish us as our sins deserve. He does not count our sins that's against right. us. So, if God doesn't count our sins against us, why should we count our sins against us? Who do we think we are? And, yeah, why, would, exactly. and why would we count someone else's sins? That's right. <laughs> so, it really goes back to gospel memory a lot of times. We need, we need to strengthen our gospel memory. Oh, I do. I love that because I mean, I'm guilty. I, and oh, that's same. what I love about the Bible so much though, is because, and I've said this to some kids before, I'm like, there's a good reason why in the word of God, he actually asks the Israelites to remember. I mean, who knows how many times, because we are forgetful people. No doubt. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. That's why we keep on sinning. I mean, right. we're yeah, very I, forgetful people. There's a reason why I have a little um, thing on my keys that makes a noise and I can't find them. You know, that, 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 that we are not great memory people. So absolutely. yeah, yeah, that's right. Well, in the book, you also uh, go through seven lies and we've talked a, a little bit about some of those, but you highlight them and they're lies that the world really does say about relationships and sexuality. It's things like, you know, sex is expected. Um, cohabitation makes sense. Oh, my goodness. That's so prevalent now. It's insane. Uh, porn is the norm and gay is OK. Um, what are some ways we as followers of Christ like that we navigate some of those conversations? You've said go back to the gospel. But let's talk about for example, in my husband's workplace, you know, I mean, he works, he's the boss of a lot of young kids and 
that's just so normal for them, but they don't even have a Christian worldview, but then there are some that do. So how do you navigate some of those conversations? Yeah, it's with the Christian. It's that continual reminder that we're not of this world, right? We live mm-hmm. in this world. Yeah. We're not to hide from it, but like really, but part of we're the Christian apart. Nature, and that's part of, the, of what it means to be a Christian, you know, like, so. That's so right. You, we're different. Yeah. If you're mingling into those things and assimilating into the lifestyle, that's a you problem. Mm. You know, that, that, that's not a sexuality problem. That's not that that's that's a you forgetting problem. So I think the, the conversation with the Christian is different than is with the unbeliever. Absolutely. For, for the unbeliever, I, I think we need to show them like the brokenness in this world uh, because mm. of if, if the context of the conversation is sexuality. You know, and it's what's happening as a result of taking what God has designed and taking it to a different place when mm-hmm. those conversations are available. But ultimately, uh, there are people who never have never had a sexual act in their life who uh, are in hell right now. Right. So, 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 I mean, so the goal is not for them to be pure. The goal is for them to know Jesus. Mm, yeah. Yeah. So, and I don't mean to be too like hardcore there, but like that's, that's the reality. So, so I want them to see Christ first. And then once they get to know Jesus, and, and they hopefully give their lives to Christ and repent of their sins. Then part of the discipleship process is showing them now what it looks like to live in this new reality of God's love and as his children. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I want to encourage people not to get too discouraged when non-Christians act and think like non-Christians. <laughs> Amen yeah, to that. Yeah, I mean, we're Christians and we're, and we struggle enough acting and thinking like Christians, right? That's right. Why would someone who doesn't even have the Holy Spirit be able to act and think like Christians? So, mm-hmm. so I think that's just helpful for me when I'm around unbelievers. Like uh, my expectations aren't high because I, why, they're of the world, right? Yeah. So, so I need to make sure I'm not the one being conformed to the patterns of this world, mm-hmm. right? Like I, I need to make sure that's me because I'm not going to be a good witness if that's true. That's so the right. goal is like, you know, like someone who, let's talk about homosexuality just for a moment. Like my goal is, is not to have somebody who is gay just randomly become straight. Right. Okay. I mean, I do think that's human flourishing right but no i want them to know jesus i I don't want them to go as a heterosexual to an eternity apart from god yeah i want them to be someone who meets jesus and then has and then jesus changes their life yeah so so i I think i want to make sure i take that angle that that we're again we're not the sexuality police we're the bearers of good news of christ and his kingdom Mm. and who he is Uh, and those lies though are, are breaking people and we can use those as opportunities to share the good news you know, so those lies are being told by culture about sex being expected. It's kind of like what used to be the first kiss is now sleeping together. You know, yeah, it, it, yeah I mean, I mean, it's a common thing in Tallahassee where I live in a college town where when people go out at night, they pack a bag because they really expect, expect to meet somebody. Yeah, it's just kind of what you do. And, and they might never see the person again. But like wow. you, know, you, know, you go back to the fraternity house, wherever it is. Oh, yeah, that's a big part of the culture here. And it's not considered strange or it's or taboo or it's just kind of it's it's sex is expected. It's no big deal. We consent for it. We're. we're 20 years old, we're just having fun. It's Friday night, you know, that kind of idea. Yeah, you know, that old song where it's just, you know, you're young and wild and free, right? Do whatever you want. So mm. that, that kind of idea. But again, like I said earlier, we have to be prepared to receive people. Mm-hmm. But when all of a sudden they go, I'm empty. Like, this is not working for me. I've mm-hmm. bought into the lies. I have a friend who knows Jesus and I see their life. And it's not perfect, but it's different than mine. Yeah. You know, and, and I, I want to know what it is that makes it different. And it's like, well, for starters, let's talk about God's design for you. Well, on the flip side of that, I feel like we're having to receive a lot of Christians um, oh, you're right. who have been damaged sure. and oh. who have been wounded by a lot of what we've we've taught. I mean, yeah. purity, not just purity culture from the, the aftermath, the the long term effects of things that we have taught um, oh, is uh, still yeah. is still prevalent yeah. in some ways. Uh, yeah. And so 
I think there it's really like being patient with people mm. and not, not giving them a hard time for being reluctant, for being a little noncommittal at first to being kind of one foot church in the door, one foot out. It's going to take time if they really have been scarred by, by churches and by messaging. Uh, so I think also in that process, as relationships are built, just remind them that Christians doing something wrong does not change the fact that God has a clear design. Mm-hmm. And if God's clear design was actually presented to you and actually was with, you know, and the grace of God was understood by everyone, you wouldn't be in this situation. Yeah. This isn't a God or a Bible problem. This is a, that certain Christian you knew or that certain church problem, right? you know, or that, or that time in your life with those five friends who just didn't know what they were doing, you know, yeah. that kind of ideas. But I, think, but I think we've really got to be patient with people. You know, like, and it's a long, it's a long game. It, it really is a long is. game. But, but while also maintaining that like, this does not change you know, what God right. says, you know, and so let's, let's learn that. Let's relearn that together. Yeah. Well, and that's what my husband and I so often are like, we have to keep telling people too, like, just get in the word, like get in the word. Yeah. You know, I mean, like that's part of the patient you're wounded by this. And who are you going to, to receive some healing? Like counselors. That's awesome. Um, I am sure. all about that. Like I have to, I need a counselor. But as a believer also, like, are you getting in the word and saying like, what did God actually say about sex and purity? Because I think that we're really, we're really malnourished in that aspect of our lives. Definitely. And we have to, because, because if we're hearing the world's messaging all the time, if we're hearing the enemy's accusations in our mind all the time, all the time. we've got to make sure we are receiving what God has said. In mm-hmm. the scriptures. Yeah. I mean, that really needs to be like, I, I though the, the number I, we hear, we read research over and over again. The number one indicator of spiritual growth is always Bible intake. Yeah. Oh, so tell me this for the person who's single. Yeah. What's this message for them? That God has a design, you know, and that, and it's a good design and it doesn't change based on life phase. You know, so I would say the single person's sexual ethic is the exact same as mine. And, th- and then that is that the person that God has designed for me to be able to be involved intimately with is my wife you know, the same is true of the single person right mm. that, whoever that person is going to be and also i want them to know that marriage is a good thing like if god designed it but it's not ultimate that's right so so, so because jesus wasn't married mm-hmm. and, and you know and, and to all indications it see appears to be that paul wasn't married you know so here are these significant christian figures obviously jesus is whole other category <laughs> he is christianity, he is christianity. Uh, but paul and they weren't married Uh, So, so I think it's important to know that. So if you ever feel like you're made to be, feel like you're JV or lesser or anything like that, that's not what God would say. Absolutely. That's not the Christian messaging. Uh, And it's okay also to desire to be married. Don't be ashamed by that. Mm -hmm. It's okay to say, you know what? I'm very content in my singleness. I'm able to do things in my singleness. I honestly wouldn't be able to do if I was married. That's fine too. Mm -hmm. That's good too. Um, but in your dating relationships, if that ever comes along, if you might be someone who's enjoying dating, might be someone who's like, eh, not for me right now, whoever it is, know that God's design remains the same. Mm. So be wise. And in your dating relationships, do what I refer to as no regrets dating, because only two things happen unless someone tragically dies. Only two things happen when you start dating. Either you get married or you break up. <laughs> so only two options, right? That's right. Uh, for even, even one date, <laughs> either you're never going to yeah. go out again or you're going to get married one day. <laughs> yeah. So that's what's going to happen. Uh, so just keep that in mind. And, and just, so just have, have no regrets dating. Don't do long-term things with, with short-term people, you know, and, and I, I just, and not just sexually, like emotionally, like I, I just want to encourage you in those things. And, but also yeah. like, it's okay to desire to be married. Don't feel bad about that. You're not desperate. You're not, 
that right. random that random Christian girl who just wants to be married so bad. No, 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 it's not that. It's okay to desire to be married, and it's okay to not. Uh, so just know that like you're not God does not have classes of citizens. Even though your church might have made you Amen. feel like that when you were younger or whenever it was, like he does not have that. So just know that you can live a flourishing life. Like you might be right now already. Uh, keep doing it. You can live a flourishing life as a single adult living for Jesus. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I mean, it's it's a gift to us. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, embrace yeah. that. Live it up, girl. Yeah. For sure. and, and you're not bound to the person you're dating. Know that too. Mm. But like you're still technically single even if you have a boyfriend or girlfriend. Yeah. By, oh. that you're not, by that, I mean, you're not in a covenant commitment with that person. That's right. So just know that, that you're not stuck in that relationship. Don't ever, right. don't ever feel like that. Mm, yeah, that's a good word. Well, as we close out here and you think about um, just all the work that you put into writing the book, what is one of your biggest hopes for it? Yeah, I, I want to see a generation be unashamed and clear regarding God's design. Mm-hmm. I, I really do. I'm, I'm worried about, I, about, drift, about drifting that I'm seeing. That, that the result of some of the people that in my generation that grew up in purity culture is just to like abandon it altogether. Yeah. And that, that worries me. So, yeah. so I, I feel like the world continues to influence us, influence us when it comes to these matters. And I want to see people return to this. And also I want to see churches that aren't afraid to talk about it. Yeah. I really do think it's for our good. I think it's for God's glory, most importantly. And I also think it's for our good. So I want people to see these as, as good things. I hope the book uh, is is practical. You know, I talk about real stuff in it. I don't know any of the topics, uh, but also like I want to hope hopefully that you can feel like the message of God's grace in the book as well regarding this and and that this design is for all Christians and that it hasn't changed mm-hmm. and it won't change. Like he like mm-hmm. he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It will not change. You know, so I, I just hope that people can have confidence and clarity regarding his design. Well, Dean, thanks so much for being here today. Yeah, um, I really, really appreciate it. And thank you for putting out this work. We we need people to keep doing it. Yeah, I appreciate your interest in the book and for having me on. And I love the name of the podcast, Grace Enough. Uh, I'll tell you what, <laughs> bring it. More grace. It's yes. enough. <laughs> so, it is enough. It's sufficient for us. I, I want to believe that and remind myself that all the time. So it's awesome. Thank you. Don't forget to visit graceenoughpodcast.com slash free gratitude practice to download the four-week practice of connecting with God through giving thanks. Next week, I sit down with Rachel Joy Welcher for part two of the Purity Culture series. Our conversation is rich as Rachel speaks to holding up God's sexual ethic while proclaiming the truth that Jesus forgives and purity is not a badge of honor that promises us a spouse, a great marriage, or a fulfilled sex life. Oh, you guys, it's a phenomenal conversation. So make sure you come back next Tuesday. Thank you for listening to the Grace Enough Podcast. Tune in next time.